0: so if you've chosen to follow our AdoptED podcast. At Mare, we believe the best way to help introduce the process of adoption from foster care is through education, hence our cutesy little title of AdoptED. Today's theme is demystifying adoption. In our podcast today, we'll be talking about the journey for adoptive parents. We'll also have a visit later in the show from our friends at Jordan's Furniture. Without further ado, I'm so excited to kick off the show with our opening segment called At The Table. Joining me at the table today is my co-host and Director of Family Support Services for Mayor, Diane Tomas. Welcome, Diane. Thanks, Joe. So, Diane, in past shows we talked about how folks can learn about adoption and what the process is like, sort of at a high level. We're working our way through this. We're progressively, as time goes on, kind of teaching people what what all of this is about And so I think today we should explore the step-by-step process for a family who chooses to adopt. And then we can talk about a family's level of search engagement, you know, the kind of effort they put in, how they're going to engage in in matching with the child. Um, And so, you know, the different ways in which a child um, can be connected to a family once they're home studied. But I think before we do that, why don't we take a minute and get to know you. In earlier episodes, Mo and I did talk about um, our experiences as adoptive parents. I introduced you as an adoptive parent at that time. And You know, talked about your role, but you're an adoptive parent. Tell me, what was your journey like? Can you share your story with us?
1: Sure. My spouse and I have two boys, um, unrelated, but they were both adopted as infants. So our oldest, who is now 12, was just six weeks old.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: And we got the call. Yeah. Just a little baby. He was, and it was very much an emergency placement. So it was about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and we needed to drive down to the DCF office um, and pick him up by 5 o'clock.
0: Oh my gosh. Did you start, (laughs) did you start out by saying you wanted a baby?
1: Yes. We had said we were open to kids zero to two. This was our first time parenting. Um, We wanted that experience. And, but because we didn't have kids, we also were in a position to be able to take an emergency placement. Yeah. And we were both teachers at the time. Um, I obviously now work for mayor, but I was also a teacher. So we had the summer off.
0: Oh, so it was perfect. Exactly. All the stars were in alignment. <laughs>
1: we had just come back from our honeymoon. Oh.
0: hmm And a new baby.
1: Right. What I mean, what else do you do? Right. So we went and picked him up, and um, it was a legal risk situation, but it actually ended up being pretty straightforward. Um, okay. Mom, birth mom, came to one supervised visit and then um, did not come for any other subsequent meetings after that. Um, and birth dad wasn't in the picture. So things kind of moved ahead and, you know, progressed pretty okay. pretty straightforward way. And then with our second guy, he is now 10. He was 13 months old oh when he moved in. Yep. So Still we had, a little guy. We had a little itty-bitties. Um, his story was, was different. He has a congenital heart defect. Mm-hmm. So he had been living with this fantastic foster mom who was... Um, really good at taking care of medically involved kids she had okay. a bit of a nursing background um she was just really invested she'd been doing it for over 20 years that
0: makes sense i mean we meet so many of these people as we're out and about you know mm-hmm. especially medical professionals nurses you know doctors people who just have such an investment in these in these youth right yeah and so with the congenital heart defect obviously it was a, a perfect pairing so you met mm-hmm. you met while he was with um, this family
1: yes while he was living with her um, she opened her home and her heart to us I mean I tell everyone about her um, I think just to to counter the negative stories we hear about foster families because right. she's just such a wonderful person and I know there are lots of wonderful foster families out there oh my gosh and she was just such a wealth of knowledge she knew everything about him because he'd been with her since birth and he's now 13 months old at this time. And, um, she answered all of our questions. I was gonna say, uh, were,
0: were you scared? Yeah. Right. Because that's, absolutely. that's heavy, mm-hmm. right? Here we are. We're looking for another child. We're willing to open our hearts and our home to another child. And, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, the medical needs of, you know, extreme proportions at this point. So, yeah, so she was good about helping you understand what it all meant?
1: She was. And I like to tell people, you know, I think every, everyone has this assumption that you need to be some sort of special person to take right, in kids right, with physical right, sure. special needs. Um, and that's not true. You know, we were no more informed about the congenital heart defect than anyone else. Right. Um, but we were open to it. We knew that we're fortunate enough to live near Boston Children's Hospital. Right. Um, so he's going to get terrific care, and then we had, as I said, this great foster mom who um, was just hand wa- holding our hands through this process, essentially. And um, and then he had um, his birth dad was still very much involved. Okay, um, he he actually at that point. Um, had decided he was not able to parent, but he wanted to be a part of our son's life. And so it's worked out really nicely. We have an open adoption agreement. We get together several times a year. Um That's it, great. Yeah, I mean, it's been... It's been nine years now, so it definitely has evolved over time, but now it feels much more natural and really like we're extended family members.
0: That's really great when that yeah. works like that. And, and even the medical management piece, I mean, if if I may be so bold as to share just a little bit that, that mm-hmm. I know about you managing it, it's just become routine right. for you. You, yeah. It's like any other visit, right? It's like any other, you know that at a certain time of year, you're going to go visit a particular doc and you are going to do your checkups That's and, right. you know, you stay on top of it, but it's not... Um, Something that that I think people might initially think of uh, more extreme medical needs and, and feel panicked. Yes. Right. Um, but you guys just did this very organically, and it's just it's part of your life. It's part of what you manage.
1: And I should also mention we are fortunate as adoptive parents to not have the financial strain of having a child with a any sort of um, ongoing medical issue because MassHealth has right. covered every bit of that. Right. Which, to date.
0: Right, which they do for children in foster care, pre-adoptive okay. children, and then in the subsidy that follows children mm-hmm. post-adoption, uh, that MassHealth is in place, and it's huge. You know, I, I shared part of my story. I've dealt with a lot of um, intellectual disability and some mm-hmm. mental health needs, and um, I, I would share the same thing. MassHealth okay. has been fantastic, and uh, and that's another piece that I think people don't always think about. You know, we we did demystify a little bit about and we'll be talking shortly about different kinds of adoptions. Mm -hmm. Um, But here in the state of Massachusetts, you know, one thing that that follows along with the kiddos is the mass health. And that's that's a big piece. Right. That's a big piece. Well, well, thank you for sharing your adoption story. Uh, You know, Mo shared hers was um, more of, you know, a very traditional. Um, uh, mother father couldn't have children I mean you know it, it was a very different time different process 35 years ago mine uh, with my husband was um, you know in the 90s and there was a certain sort of social protocol and things that were that were going on and so this is yet another perspective so thank you I appreciate you sh- t- sharing that with everyone sure. Um, and you know what why don't we let's let's introduce your team too so I mean I introduced you and Ricardo and um, you know and certainly I can't do it as well as you can so why don't you um, take a minute explain your department your roles and so forth just to remind people what it is that you and your team do
1: sure well we're a two-person team the Department of Family Support Services or small but mighty (laughs) <laughs> um we've really we've worked together for years now, and so we've really um gotten into our roles and really feel comfortable what with what each of us does to help families and support families in the in the best way possible so i spend. A lot of time working with families who are already in process so at that point um, by the time they reach out to me they typically have gone through their MAP class they're getting home studied they're starting to really think about what matching looks like sure um, the kind of child that might be placed with them or they're starting to attend events and they're looking for advice around you know How do I behave at these events? You know, is it okay for me to approach kids and talk to kids? Um, Is it okay if I'm kind of shy and like to hang back and just talk to social workers? And what if I don't want to go to events at all? How am I going to get matched? Yeah. I spend a lot of time. uh, I spend a lot of time talking to families like that. Um, I spend time with families who've had kids placed with them. And are really looking for advice around uh, some child-specific issues that come up. You know, like, my kiddo's having this issue. Do you know any therapists in my area who, A, take mass health and B, know how to help a child um, right. with this issue? Um, so really, any...
0: Pre-adoptive support, the, yeah. the, you know, the pieces where you're part of a community now, but maybe you don't have everything in place, right? So right.
1: And people... you still have your family worker at this point. Right. Um, but as we know, social workers are, are on the road and they're out and about and um, are not Um, at their desk and by the phone, um, you know, Monday through Friday, nine to five, in the way that Ricardo and I have um, the luxury of being available to families um, when they call the office during business hours. So we're there really for any kind of question or concern that arises Ricardo is typically the first voice that people hear when they call the office to find out more about foster care adoption. He's that person who's gonna educate you, talk you through the process, tell you what to expect, right. um, answer all those questions that you've know that you had burning inside of you that you've been afraid to ask and, and now have made this call. In any question. Anything. I mean,
0: and Ricardo, I mean, aside from just being an incredibly knowledgeable person and super kind, yeah. um, and non-judgmental, yeah. uh, you know, really any question, and and we have people that call with all kinds of questions, right. and and sometimes people will, you know, the funny thing is or ironic thing is that you know as we're having more engagement in social media and things like this podcast and you know we're, we're really building um more connectivity to our community one of the first things that people come back with is i don't i'm afraid to ask right i'm embarrassed i don't you don't need to be embarrassed ricardo diane any one of our team members really i mean you know there's no one who would ever think that's a ridiculous question right because if you're thinking it. We've probably had it before.
1: Absolutely. we. I think we've definitely had the range of questions, and there really is no silly question. This is what we're here for. This right. is what we do. Um, and it's we really enjoy helping people. And because I've gone through it personally, I know that I... I benefited from having people I could talk to um, who'd gone through it or were professionals in the field. I mean, you absolutely need people on the other end of the line who are going to make you feel like it's okay, and that you're moving in the right direction and they're going to support you along the way. Right.
0: And that's and that's a big piece of our job. You know, we are forever conjoined to DCF process, as is any agency who supports Mm -hmm. all of this work. Um, However, we're not DCF. And we have a very unique role. We talk about it. uh, You know, I use language like conduit, and we're bridge builders. And, you know, we really are not an agency that makes decisions. Mo and I did a whole piece on this last time. Uh, You know, we're not the decision makers. We are just people who help to connect, answer questions, and keep you on the path, Mm -hmm. you know, and um, maybe keep you sane sometimes. Right when you're hitting walls and you and you've got challenges, I think it's also important to note that um, Diane also was one of our child service coordinators as well. So she worked on the other side of the house. Mo and I last time, you know, talked about the kinds of roles we have here at Mayor and child service coordinators being one of them. And um, and so you've worked with the social workers and the kiddos. You now work with the families. Uh, you are an adoptive parent yourself. Your team works with uh, Ricardo. Works very uh, much with the faith-based community as a, an extension of the work that he does. You and I uh, do a lot of work with LGBTQ um, parenting and children, uh, so we've got we've got lots of lenses into this work, and and you certainly have a pretty global one. So um, so thank you for sharing more about your team. We we always love hearing about the work that you're doing, um, and I certainly appreciate your story, and I'm sure that our audience can relate to your journey. Uh, but let's shift gears a little bit. I. I want to, as we go through this podcast, teach people more about this whole process. That's really one of the things that that we had as a goal. And so today, um, I'd like a, to have a bit of a primer for our audience um, who are just, you know, beginning to think about the process, or who maybe have been away from the process for um, a long time. I think I'd like to start by talking about the the types of adoption. So why don't we talk a little bit about that? So so in terms of Um, And you know what? Why don't I let you talk about, because of your enculturation to the work, why don't I let you talk about sort of the DCF and and the foster care process? Why don't I talk a little bit about um, the fact that there's a lot of different ways that you can start a family, right? And one of the first decisions you have to make is what best suits your family. I know that when Tom and I started this process back in the 90s, we looked at... Domestic adoption and international adoption, and then you know we move to adoption from foster care. But um, but basically, there's there's three types of, of adoption, right? There's foster care, domestic uh, infant, and intercountry, or what is sometimes. Um, also called international adoption. And regardless of the type of adoption, Massachusetts requires that all families work with a licensed adoption agency. So as you're beginning this journey, you may find that you know, you're gonna go out and look at um, what's available in your area and what agencies are in your area. Um, and we certainly would encourage you to do that. We'd encourage you to call Diane and her team if you have questions. Uh, but d- domestic infant adoption is um, something that most people are familiar with and it really just involves working with a private agency to adopt a newborn infant. Often the adopted family will be matched with a birth parent that is making, um, you know, adoption plans for a baby. And what's interesting is, you know, Mo talked about uh, 35 years ago going through this process and how, um, you know, families weren't all that plugged in. There was a lot of secrecy and, you know, it was a very different process. Today, you might even have open adoption agreements uh, with families. There are fees associated with this type of adoption that may include fees for a home study, which we've talked about what that is before, some birth parent expenses in uh, post-placement services. So domestic infant adoption, certainly an avenue for some people, right?
1: And I would echo what you said, Joe, that open adoption is really the way these days in any type of adoption. Right. Um, you're much more likely to have an open adoption um in domestic infant adoption as you are in foster care adoption so it's something you really have to consider it's not a way to avoid open adoption by choosing domestic infant adoption right
0: and sometimes that's that's in people's minds right mm-hmm. that they that they want some privacy but we also know the benefits and we'll We'll talk more about that in a, in another show. Uh, why open adoptions are important and what the benefits are, but for sure, domestic infant adoption can include that. Now, intercountry adoption or international adoption, um, I'm sure you, like I have Diane, have been following that, and you know the numbers are way way down. When when um, Tom and I first started in the '70s, um, if you start if you look at the stats for intercountry adoption, and you can actually go on to um, uh, the State Department, and they they have a really nice um, chart that kind of shows. Uh, what the international adoption rates are, you'll notice that it's gone down. And it's it's an intentional um, act on the part of the United States um, because of how some international adoptions were happening and, and how children were being treated. There was some humanitarian efforts that were put into place. But basically, intercountry country or international adoption involves working with a private agency to adopt a child from another country, um, most commonly from Eastern Europe, China, Central, Latin America, Africa, India. And children are typically... Um, toddler age or older, uh, in addition um, to the, uh, to the uh, agency requirements, the families must also meet the requirements of the foreign country. So you're working with a foreign country, there's a citizenship and immigration piece, which is you know that whole State Department piece. Um, there are fees certainly associated with this. Uh, I can remember one of the um, interesting things was that we had a, a, Tom's cousin, my cousin-in-law, Um, had just uh, engaged in an international adoption and had to travel abroad with a suitcase full of money in order to complete the transaction. And uh, what also wasn't uncommon with many of the families that we talked to was that what was supposed to be a certain uh, length of time often got extended and people were kept in countries longer. And, you know, so uh, it can be um, challenging to navigate. You would want a good agency to work with. Um, for sure, uh, you know. In, so here, the fees associated with this include fees for home study to the agency in the foreign country, sometimes to some of the uh, state agencies surrounding it in foreign countries. There's also post-placement services, travel expenses. You know, lots of, lots of stuff. So, um, so still an option. Not as many kids.
1: I would add that you know every type of adoption has its challenges, and every type has something that's going to be. Um, a consideration for all families but i want to point out that specifically for lgbtq individuals that inter-country adoption has been especially difficult there are some countries that um altogether don't allow it right. and there are other countries that allow um in individuals but not partnered um people lgbtq people to adopt so that's a huge consideration
0: even in domestic you know, uh, so my one of my sons was born in Louisiana. Mm-hmm. And although um, it was recently said to me that here in Massachusetts, uh, we live in a bubble within a bubble mm-hmm. for LGBTQ families. Now, back going back to the 90s, we were able to uh, adopt as a same-sex couple. We were both able to be named on birth certificates except for one child because Louisiana did not allow that. Um, and, and I was just reminded of it because I was with my son and he had to get a replacement because, like many college students, he somehow misplaced his birth certificate at some (laughs) point, Uh, but, um, but, you know, even domestically, um, you know, you think about this idea that, you know, especially for LGBTQ couples um, that that we're in this bubble up here in, in Massachusetts and, and, you know, rightfully so Um, it's easier for us to engage, but uh, those challenges as you move out across the country and out across the world aren't necessarily the same. So that's a little bit about domestic and intercountry, country and, and you know what, Diane, since you work with families engaged in foster care and adoption every day, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about that process?
1: Sure. I'll start by saying with the other types of adoption, um, Ricardo and I, of course, will educate families that call about those two kinds of adoption, just as Joe said, and are happy to point you in the direction of agencies that perform those kinds of adoption. Um, but what Mare really specializes in is adoption from foster care, mm-hmm. Um, all of the kids that we serve are in the custody of the Massachusetts Department of Children and Families, or DCF. And most of them are living in foster homes, but some are living in residential facilities. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with them, they're really like group homes. Um, right. Kids are living together and getting therapeutic support Um on a twenty four seven basis, um, some kids are actually being educated within the residential facility, and other right. kids are going out into the community and attending a local public school.
0: And uh, we we reminded listeners of that last time. That's a question that we often get: Is DCF involved in everything? Yeah, yeah. DCF, with the with the rare exception of some intensive kind of foster care situations, um, DCF is the agency of record for for many of the agencies. So even though you may Um, end up with a sub-agency, right, or a child who's in the care of a sub-agency, it all still runs through DCF, right?
1: Yeah, that's a common question when people ask um, about working with contracted agencies rather than working with DCF. Um, Am I going to be able to adopt a child in DCF custody? Am I still able to look at kids on your website who are waiting children? Absolutely. They're all the same group of kids. They're all in state custody. And um, it doesn't matter which agency you work with; those are the kiddos that you're going to be matched with. Many of our kids are six or older, um, although the demographics are are always changing, shifting
0: um, a lot. They're getting yeah. getting younger sometimes. They as are. We look at the population. I mean,
1: due to the opioid crisis and other um, social crises that happen. Over time, that demographic is always shifting. So really, I I would say that we have kids from zero to 18, but predominantly they're school-age children.
0: And I always, you know, the one thing I always talk about when we start talking about zero and your experience, um, which I think, you know, you have a really great experience with a newborn. uh, But I think in general, if we think about the newborns that typically come into care, it can be very challenging for many Families. I mean, if we think about the circumstances that bring a newborn immediately into placement, um, that can be a little bit challenging. But we do have that opportunity, and and certainly the opportunity for discussions about that. If people are interested in adopting a very very young child, I'd encourage them to call your team and to really talk about what that means, and uh, and or reach out to, you know, other parents in the area who have done so, um, because you know, as we talk about uh, risk, we'll talk about that a little bit later in this podcast. But as we talk about, you know, sort of assessing risk and thinking about all the things that can happen, um, you know, certainly a baby brings more challenges, right?
1: Well, now that my kids are older, I think I sentimentalize the process a little bit. (laughs) Just like people say, you know, you forget about how difficult the birth or the delivery was of your child. And so that's why you go on to do it again. Um, I think that's, that's also something that can happen with adoption. When I look back now, I can recall, of course there were challenges. I mean, our son was born um, exposed to substances, and he wasn't altogether healthy. Our second son, as I mentioned, has a congenital heart defect, and we ended up having— having to take him to to children's to have his third open heart surgery um, and that all feels so long ago and far away of course right. cuz now I'm just busy child rearing but all of that happened and it wasn't easy and both of our kids cases were legal risk so there were you know there were those difficult nights where you're wondering what's going to happen right. you know what what's this journey going to be like and how long will it take for us to finalize our adoption, um, so all of that is still very true. I think, and I, I mean think facts. you're right
0: too. It really is. It's a matter of perspective. Mm-hmm. It's a matter of where you are in process. I mean, you know, here I am, seven kids later, and mm-hmm. you know, more kids than that having gone through our home, and more kids than that have been, you know, part of our consideration, mm-hmm. and things happen. But um, mm-hmm. it it depends where you are in the cycle. Right. Yes. I think yes. I think when you're in the thick of it, sometimes you feel like, you know, everything is going wrong or can have those days where everything's going wrong. But you know, here's a big secret. I have friends who are bio parents and some days they feel like everything's <laughs> going wrong. So it's it's not just those of us on this track. Um, so tell us a little bit more about, um, you know, adopting a child from foster care and, and how this begins to, to play out.
1: Sure. So th- I think the biggest difference is there are no fees involved in adoption from foster care. F- from start to finish, I know people, people ask me more specific questions when we're talking about finances on the phone. Right. Um, because I think it's really hard to believe there would be no hidden fees, but there really aren't. Um, in domestic private adoption or intercountry adoption, you as prospective parents would be paying for the home study, for example. Right. And you're not doing that here. Um, and you're not paying for any of the legal fees um, as the case unfolds, which is also different from domestic infant and intercountry sure. adoption. So no hidden fees, I promise. It's all free. Um, which
0: is and that's interesting because one of the things that we get a lot of times on uh, our social media engagement is people not knowing that mm-hmm. and not believing it, mm-hmm. right? So so it's not uncommon for us multiple times a week to get somebody to say. Um, I would adopt, but it's so expensive. Right. I wish we could afford to do that. It's free, Yeah. it's free.
1: I mean, for me, this is the most important thing about doing what we're doing right now, a podcast or a Facebook live talk uh, or workshop or a training is taking these assumptions that people have right. and turning them upside down and giving people the facts. And um, that's just one of them, but, but that's a biggie.
0: Right.
1: The other thing I would say, um, and to the best of my knowledge, Domestic infant adoption and intercountry adoption um, don't mandate that you take some sort of training to become a parent, whereas adoption from foster care does. Right. You're going to take the MAP training class and you're going to go, you know, one night a week for 10 weeks, uh, three hour sessions or, or maybe on Saturdays um, all day for five uh, five weeks, um, which I think at the start for everybody feels really onerous, but by the end everyone's so grateful that they've taken it.
0: And it's so important, you know. It is. Well, so Diane, so I've shared with our audience before that I was a MAP trainer. Diane is also a MAP trainer, and um, and she and I have had the opportunity to discuss the curriculum. And you know, this particular curriculum is pretty tough, and sometimes catches people off guard. Week one, week two, you know, as they're beginning to get into this process, but at the end, I've had people saying why doesn't everybody do this? Why aren't we doing this in the schools? How come, you know, you know, would we even be in this position if we educated people better? It's, it's a nice primer, right? Yes, it,
1: even if you've already parented and you have a lot of parenting experience, this is a different set of issues that we're talking about. Yeah. Of course, our kids will be typical kids in lots of ways, but they've also had history and experiences that um, your birth children likely have not.
0: Right, and, and it's such a good such a good bit of content. And it's in, if nothing else, it's thought-provoking you know i tell i used to always tell my classes I've, I've stopped teaching map for the time being but i would always say to them put the book away don't put it away too far there will be a time when you need it right, right. And hopefully not every kid will deal with everything that we've talked about because there's a lot of content <laughs> in yeah. there right but you will need it at some point and and i think you're right so the, having the classes helps there's no fees for sure um what do people need to think about um when they adopt from foster care
1: I think the most important thing is thinking about your level of flexibility. Um, You're going to be working with a lot of people throughout the process. You've got attorneys. You've got social workers on both sides, um, birth parents, any other birth family members who are still involved in the process. Mm -hmm. And you've really just got to be open sometimes to not knowing where it's going next and for just kind of trusting that the process is a child-centered one, and that it's moving in the direction that's best for the child, right. but that there are gonna be hiccups along the way, um, and that unexpected issues may arise because we're talking about human
0: beings. And there's a lot of process, and you know, one thing that's interesting, I've been involved in, in dialogues recently with, um, uh, with an online group uh, about the difference between foster parenting and adoptive parenting, but the commonalities between those two things, since adoptive parenting or being a pre-adoptive parent is an extension of foster care, are, are pretty much the same. But what's interesting is what gets lost. What gets what's visible is the DCF practices. Mm-hmm. What gets lost is the courts, and the courts are concurrently doing work with DCF and often driving the decisions that DCF is making. Um, so you do have to have some flexibility and, and you know the the uh, faith that this is a process that is designed to work a particular way. Um, It may be hard at times, right? It may be challenging to to watch it play out at times, but um, but it is built uh, on a base of fairness and equity Yes. For everyone going through the process.
1: And permanency. The the goal is permanency and to keep in mind that everything that's happening along the way is to reach that point of permanency. And as the adults in the equation, we really have to shoulder all of that so that we make this as painless as possible for our kiddos.
0: But that's right. And and this is not a process about... parents selecting children right. this is a process about parents prospective adoptive parents having a particular set of strengths that they bring to the table that can help to support a child and that's a very different it's a very different way to look at it i think but that's yes. how i've always looked at it does that make sense absolutely to think about it that
1: way which means thinking about your own reaction to to challenges can you have a sense of humor Right. You know, can you remain stable even in unpredictable situations? Because those are the things that are most important um, in being successful and having an adoption um, that works for everybody. Right.
0: Right. And being the adult. Yep. Right. Absolutely. And I would be remiss if I didn't recall uh, our old campaign work that's still very active with Adopt US Kids, which is you don't <laughs> have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Well right. Said. There yep. is there's a lot of things that. That you can bring to the table that may be very different than the person next to you, and that's okay. We all have different strengths that we that we can offer a child. All right. So, um, how about if I how about if I demystify um, a little bit about you know some of the incorrect assumptions that that people sometimes make? Great. Yeah so there's a lot of myths and you may if you follow us on other channels you know you'll see that some of this plays out right we try and uh demystify all of the kinds of things that that people think um so there's a lot of myths about who is eligible to adopt uh from foster care but you can be an adult of any age as long as you're 18 years old there's no upper age limit to adopt right so um there are some specifics uh you know with regard to to age and um and sometimes you see 18, sometimes you see 21. We tend to go with you know, what's uh, on the, the DCF website. Um, but really, you have to be an, an adult, right? So you have to be beyond the age of, of legal consent. Um, you can be single, married, partnered, stray, gay, straight, gay, lesbian, bisexual, or transgender. Don't mind me, I'm tripping over my tongue. Okay. Um, and that's important. You know, uh, In the work that we do, Diane, and I know the work that I do statewide, and you and I have so much overlapping work here at Mayor. The national dialogue, um, especially for LGBTQIA families, um, is such that in you know if we start thinking about what's going on in uh, the Carolinas and what's going on in Michigan and you know all these new bills you know, here in Massachusetts, that's not really an an issue. Um, we're fortunate.
1: And I would say I'm also thankful specifically to bisexual and transgender parents who've come through the process, who've really led the way. Right. Um, I know that social workers are doing a lot of education behind the scenes, and we as a staff are, are always um, trying to be the most educated that we can be in serving families. Um, but I'm really grateful to those folks for coming through the process and um, being treated just like everyone else, being treated equally as they deserve to be, but really paving the way for other folks. So I really invite folks to call and, um, and speak to us if you have any wariness or even fears around not being considered as a prospective adoptive parent, um, because of your, uh, gender identity or sexual orientation.
0: Yeah. And we do a really good job. You know, one of the things that I always talk about, it's rarely with Diane in the room. So I'll, I'll, Tell everyone that she's going to blush in about two seconds. But, but one of the things that we do so well um, is really to engage with and support a wide variety of peoples from a wide variety of backgrounds. I mean, you know, no matter what it is that you're connected to, I think we are so diverse in the way that we think. But specifically, as you as you talk about LGBTQ families, I can remember, a, you know, going. This is again. My story goes back to the to the '90s. My first two boys came from there. Um, I was at mm-hmm. the Worcester Ecotarium, which used to be the Worcester Science Center, back when they had a display that said someday microwaves may cook your food. Uh, it was a little outdated, <laughs> but but the fact of the matter is we were treated well then, and I think we treat families well now. And and the one thing that that I think that you would blush on is the fact that you've got such a finger on the pulse of. Um, the LGBTQ community and and, and are able to connect in a way that's very meaningful um, in terms of needs, needs assessments, and making sure that the strengths that people bring to the table, regardless of what those strengths are, right, are are greatly matched. Um, And I would say also, you know, our single parents, too. That's another area that we we hit where um, oftentimes single people feel like, am I in the running? you know, to be a parent. Yes.
1: And I would say those two of groups of, of people, single folks and LGBTQ folks, um, they have been parenting long enough that we have documented studies and data showing right. how wonderfully right. their kids right. turn out. So Absolutely. this is not just my personal opinion. <laughs> the sure, data it's a, backs not, it up. Not the world according to Diane. Right. <laughs> no,
0: no, but it's true. And, and so, and so we are, we are very engaged and people may have uh, different perceptions that they hold, but I would encourage folks to give us a call, whether you're single married, partnered, straight, gay, lesbian, bisexual, or transgender. you know, we are more than happy to to talk to you about your unique circumstance. Um, so other myths, right? Um, you can just be starting your family from scratch or you may have other kids in the home. Uh, what's interesting is I always um, say that you know what's interesting is with people living longer, oftentimes when people become empty nesters now, it's not like they're just going into retirement and sailing off into the sunset I know a lot of people who have sent kids off to college who have started all over again mm-hmm. and brought kids into their home and, as well as young couples uh, or people who may have been on the infertility treatment path and you know so so anywhere in your anywhere in your pursuit you could just be starting or have other kids you can be a homeowner or a renter mm-hmm. you know sometimes people will say do I have to own a home yeah. You just have to have stable housing. You have to have, there are requirements for the amount of room that you have to have for a child, right? But really, you can be a homeowner or a renter. Income. So aside from the freebie that we talked about earlier, income is another one of those things. You know, well, do I have to have a a certain income level? Am I going to be judged on my income level? Speaking to our piece of the process, you know, you can be of any income level. You just have to have stable enough income that you can support a family, right? And bearing in mind, there's no cost to adopt from foster care. So, you know, and sometimes there are financial and medical subsidies that may be available. You know, you and I talked about the mass health piece, um, but sometimes with older kiddos, there may be some subsidies to help families out, uh, or kiddos with more extreme needs, right? Right. Um, I said a little bit about Ricardo's work with religion earlier, but really, you can have religion or no religion. You can be of any race, ethnicity, religion, have no religion. Um, You know, identity is important, as a matching criteria, we talked about strength based matching. Uh, so, you know, it's important to let your workers know how you identify. But those are all strengths, right? Those are all ways in which we can help to match kids.
1: Right. When it comes to older kids, they have their own say. If they've been practicing a religion, feel really strongly about it, then they would be matched with a family who feels okay with supporting a child right. in whichever religion they want to practice um but with younger children who haven't had that experience being raised by you and whatever your faith and religion is um is just very similar to to a birth family
0: right right it's enculturating them into your your family and your traditions yeah for sure so um you can be an adult um even with a medical or mental health condition or a disability that often comes up if i have a particular medical condition or a mental health condition or a disability um you know, medical and, uh, I'm sorry, disabilities and medical conditions are not reasons for automatically disqualifying people. Um, There'll be a, certainly be something that we would think about as we're matching. But again, there's strengths. You know, one of the things I always talk about in, in our, uh, when I was teaching MAP class a lot was uh, a thing that we talk about is substance abuse, right? As one of those topics. And I say to the classes all the time, let's take the uh, idea of alcoholism. Some alcoholics go on to to um, have very um, uh, little connectivity with people who have alcohol and substance abuse because that's what they required, th- That's what they need to stay on on the path of sobriety. Others go on to lead groups and to be mentors to people. And to so when you're thinking about kids and you're thinking about oh my gosh, um, you know, if uh, I was an alcoholic and I'm 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 sober. You know, could I consider a child who maybe has a substance abuse um, problem? Depends. Depends how you react, right? But even, even those kinds of things can be strengths. People who've come out the other side of adversity, right? Sometimes mm-hmm. present strengths. So sometimes it's medical or mental health conditions or, you know, um, uh, other disabilities. that may be great strengths to match with a kid.
1: Yeah, and sobriety is a process. And it's something that's part of your identity for your entire life, even if you've been sober, you know, 15 years or 20 years. I know that um, folks who have identified as substance abuse um, users still see that that was a part of who they were and that they need to do the work to stay sober. And I think that that lends itself to really understanding kids who've been in the system That being a foster child is still part of their identity somewhere long after they've been adopted, and that they have a birth family somewhere, and that's not negated by being adopted and having a new adoptive family.
0: Right. And for some people, it may be a trigger. So you know, but these are conversations. Home study we demystified last time. These are the kind of honest conversations that you really need to have with your worker, and and you need to be upfront, right, and talk with them. Um, you need to uh, be a U.S. citizen uh, or a qualified documented alien for sure. And we do, um, you know, um, folks do engage in background record checks as part of this process. So um, applicants with a charge on their quarry, um, which is, you know, the, um, the record check piece of it. Um, can apply for a waiver. So in certain circumstances there are things that, that can be, um, uh, can have a waiver and can be explained. And so uh, if you got in trouble 30 years ago and now are considering this and think that's going to be an issue, talk to somebody, right? I mean, we're not the decision makers here, but, but really when you get to the place where you're going through application and you're going through homestead, you, you can have a conversation yeah, uh, with the workers and all tell all people up front, be honest.
1: Don't, you know, we could be missing out on a really great family because they're afraid to share um, a misdemeanor that they were charged with many years ago. Um, but it's better to know. So right. give DCF a call and let someone else tell you whether or not you're and be able, honest. Yep, you're able to adopt.
0: Yeah. okay. Well, for the sake of time, I'm I, we're running a little bit long, but I want to go through the steps. Um, there's you know the steps to adoption and um, and so why don't we let's just let's ping and pong let's go back and forth why don't you tell me what the first step is
1: sure so give us a call and either I or Ricardo Franco, as I mentioned, will answer all of your questions, talk you through the process, ask you where you live so we can point you in the direction of the adoption agencies that serve the region of the state you're living in. Um, this is for Massachusetts families only. If you're living out of state, we'll direct you to um, Adopt Us Kids, which is a national service. Okay.
0: So that's the adoption inquiry, and then so uh, make an agency application. So you know, upon your request, a social worker from the agency you've chosen to work with will visit you, and you'll begin the uh, process. And then, what does that mean? What 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 does that lead to?
1: Right. So the first thing that happens is the application asks for your social security number, and that will be sent out to have your uh, criminal background check and your sex offender background check run. And then once those are completed, a social worker from the agency will give you a call and set up a time to come out to your home to do a physical standards check. Um, and that's really not about having your home childproofed at this point. It's right. just making sure that your home is a safe environment.
0: Sure. And then training. So we talk an awful lot about MAP. And, and I think that that our listeners at this point understand um, what that's all about but you do go through some training so once your application is approved you'll be invited to a training program they happen all over the state Uh, on our website you'll find information about where those occur but you can't just show up right you've got to get to that place and then what happens
1: and then a social worker from the agency maybe the person who taught you MAP or maybe someone else from that agency is going to conduct the home study so they'll schedule three to four visits to your home um, where they'll interview get to know you ask about um, your your life from childhood all the way up to present day so that they can really identify your strengths as a family and make the best match for you with a child.
0: Great. And then uh, licensing. So once your home study has been completed, now you're at that point, right? So all this is pre-work. We're, we're working up to getting to the place where you can adopt. All this is pre-work. So this is licensing. And then once you're licensed...
1: The exciting part, the matching. Um, so you'll start maybe attending mayor events or your worker will be calling you with potential matches. Um, and these are kids who um, who have the characteristics that have been identified in your home study as being a good match for you. Um, and once you're matched with a child, you will come into the office and have a disclosure meeting where you'll find out more about the child's case. And should you decide to move forward, you'll start visitation.
0: Good. And then with some placement support, so you know placement decisions are mutual and they're based upon planned, uh, a very planned schedule. And you'll receive support throughout that process. And once a child's placed, you'll work with their social worker and your social worker, and and you know begin to move into the the placement process. Um, a child must be legally freed and reside with you for six months before legalization can occur. But you know oftentimes that timeline we all know is much longer. And for the sake of permanency, that's a that's a good thing, yeah. right? Um, And then I guess then we move on to, you know, so then we hit adoption, right? So once you're adopted, then then what goes on?
1: You have your adoption day, you celebrate, and then what? Well, mayor is always here to answer questions or... um, to point you in the direction of resources uh, that can be helpful to you that are available to you and your family. But also the Department of Children and Families has a contract with Adoption Journeys, which is another organization that uh, provides services to you post-adoption, um, like respite, like workshops, right. um, like family get-togethers. Um, what else am I missing? Yeah, offer a lot.
0: Yeah, well, it, it, pretty mm-hmm. much anything they take in over in home services. In yeah, right, in home services, but they take over where uh, your DCF services leave off, right? Because right. there is there's a defining line at that point. Yep. Right. So, but there is someone there. So we've talked about the whole process. Um, uh, what I why don't I just run through this list really quickly um, in terms of uh, engagement? So I, I call this you know um, how proactive you want to be, right? So after a home study, um, on the on the least proactive end of things. You can just wait for your ADLU or Adoption Development Licensing Unit worker or privacy agency worker to call. They've learned who you are, right? They're out there helping and to to create situations where matches happen for you. Um, I like to tell people to create a family marketing tool. So I would always say a postcard or a leave behind that you can meet when you meet social workers. You can tell them a little bit more about your family and your family's strengths. You can use tools like our website, mayorinc.org, or adoptuskids.org as a resource for beginning the matching process. And a lot of families do this sometimes as they're in process, as long as they understand that they need to get to the place where they can actually get information uh, before they do any outreach. This is a great tool. They can certainly call you uh, and the team at Mayor for assistance in matching with a child. And then as we get more and more proactive and not everyone's comfortable with all of this. And that's okay. You can decide just how much risk you want to take. You can decide just how proactive you want to be. You can attend our adoption parties and matching events. And Mo and I talked about big events versus small events and how sometimes people have a particular feeling about, you know, particular environments. Right. And then you can directly engage with the ADLU worker and the children's social workers. So there's just tons of ways in which people can get involved in this process. we've gone through a lot of, I'm trying to make sure that we don't use vocabulary that people don't understand. So what do you think? Why don't we just review a couple of bits of vocab from sure. this segment?
1: Particularly acronyms, you know? Acronyms <laughs> are tough. Confuse right? acronyms. So we used Corey, CORI, C O R I, and Sorry, SORI, S O R I, and those are the background checks. So it's criminal offender background check and a sex offender background check. And those are the background checks that DCF runs right at the start of the process when you've turned in your application, which will show them your criminal and state child welfare history. Uh, to be sure that you're an appropriate candidate for adoption. And the other terms we use were really just the types of adoption. And these can be found on our website. So feel free to go and, um, and reread them at your leisure. But inter-country or international adoption is essentially adopting, adopting from another country outside of the United States. Domestic adoption is infant adoption that happens here in the United States through a private adoption agency. And both intercountry and domestic adoption um, both have fees attached to them. And then lastly, foster care adoption, which is what Mary specializes in, and it's adoption of kids who are in the, the custody of the Department of Children and Families.
0: Right. And I think we'd use some other common terms from prior shows, but if you're just joining us for the first time, we used MAP, and that's the Massachusetts Approach to Partnership in Parenting. It's a 10-week or 30-hour course. It may be broken up differently than 10 weeks um, where you learn all about adoption from foster care. We also uh, talked about ADLU, which is uh, the group, the Adoption Development Licensing Unit, who has the social workers who support you as a family. Um, and Diane, why don't we remind our listeners of how they can get questions answered. You know, how can they get more information?
1: Sure. Lots of different ways. Whatever you feel most comfortable with, you could call us at 617-964-6273. Um, you could email us. You could come to an event. You could log on to our website, um any of our social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at adopt.
0: Great. Well, thank you, Diane, for another stimulating and educating conversation. I know how much, uh, you know, you know how much I appreciate you and working with you. So thanks for spending some time with me.
1: This was great. Thanks for having me. Great. Well,
0: we'll be right back to introduce you to a few waiting children right after this short break. Be right back. And now it's time to introduce you to some of our waiting children. Today we're going to learn about Jaden and Carissa. This is probably a good time to remind our listeners that they can find information about either of the children at our website, merink.org, by clicking on the Meet the Children tab and then selecting Waiting Children. You can either search by the child's registration number, which you'll learn about in just a moment, or you can view Waiting Children or create your own custom search. So Diane, tell me more about the featured waiting children.
1: Sure. First up, we have Jaden. Like most eight year olds, he's energetic and playful. Um, you'll have to check out his photo. He's got a great smile. And the people who know him best describe him as incredibly bright, sociable, kind, and affectionate. He likes physical play. He likes others to engage in a game of toss or tag with him. He loves wrestling, playing. He's it, an interactive and watching little guy. Mm-hmm. 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 He's like a hands on parent. <laughs> right, right. Um, he loves going to school. That's good, That's right? A That's a huge challenge. Mm-hmm. So And ahead. his teachers describe him as a role model Model student who is doing well. That's always
0: a. You were you're yeah. a former teacher, right, right? That's a nice compliment for any kid, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, he sounds like the kind of kiddo you'll get positive phone calls home about, or right, <laughs> a nice right. note home about. Who doesn't want that? Um, so, what kind of family would be right for Jaden? He'd benefit from a family where he's the only child, or a family that can just give him a lot of frequent, individualized attention. So, if he's not the only child, I'm guessing maybe some older kids who have their own busy social yeah, lives, or maybe a little and, more
0: independent. Yeah, Yep. Right. It, it, who wouldn't mind you spending a little time with Jaden? That's right. Right. That's really what that means.
1: That's right. Because as we said, he loves active play, and so he really needs a parent um, who's going to be able to to give that to him. Right. Uh, good news is he's legally free for adoption, and his social worker is open to considering Massachusetts foster families in addition to just pre-adoptive families. That's great. Oh, that's great. And then we have Carissa. And Carissa is 15 years old. Another great photo. I know. Um, really terrific. And it says here that Carissa loves to sing.
0: She loves to sing.
1: Does she have a video? Uh,
0: you know what? She is in, I think we're in the process of putting together a video, but but she is a singer. For well, sure.
1: sounds like she'd love to make a video. Right. Um, she's bilingual. So she's African-American and Caucasian, but she actually speaks English and Spanish. She's funny, she's sociable, she's playful, she's lovable. In addition to the singing you mentioned, Joe, she likes telling jokes. Oh, we can get her on film telling jokes, I think it's,
0: yeah, why not?
1: Dancing, painting, drawing, and eh, it sounds like in her downtime she likes to watch TV. She's also learning to play different instruments. She can play the violin and piano already.
0: Beautifully. And I think with with being outgoing – doesn't it make you so? You know, Chris is a little bit older, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but resiliency—we mm-hmm. think about the resiliency of children, and we always say, you know, children are resilient. But then we balance it with, you know, the trauma, abuse, and neglect. Sometimes, here's a kid who's a little bit older. She loves to sing. She wants to tell jokes. Right? This is somebody who is who's engaged,
1: and she has passions. I think that's really important. That keeps that keeps anybody going, right? And she's got quite a few passions. Um, she likes gym, um, but she doesn't love history. So, well, <laughs> you good know, good for her for knowing what she likes and doesn't <laughs> like. Um, she, when she grows up, she'd like to be a social worker and help others. Um, we hear that quite a bit, which is a good sign. It, it means she's had some good experiences with social right. workers, um, so much so that she'd like to be one. She's proud of herself for reaching her goals. So it sounds like she's got some confidence. Um, She relates her experiences in life to climbing a mountain and not stopping until she reaches the stars. I know. It sounds poetic. I love it. Chris is also legally freed for adoption. And when asked about what she wants in an adoptive family, she's expressed that she'd like to have her own bedroom. That's
0: that's (laughs) reasonable.
1: She is 15. To be able to go for walks in the community, to spend time with friends, to go shopping, and work out at the gym.
0: Those are, those are some pretty good goals. Those are some pretty mature goals. I think that's that's great.
1: Sounds like normal teen stuff. She'd like a potential family to know that when meeting someone new, it's going to take some time for her to open up. Right. And that she has great relationships already with her visiting resources and would like to stay connected to them. So she needs a family who's going to respect those relationships and keep them going for her.
0: Well, that's good. And she does have a video online, so you can also check out that. Oh, and, good. Um, and you know, for both of these kids and for all of our kids, really – if you have any questions please please don't hesitate to give us a call um and you know what diane want to remind them of what that process is like how easy is it to find out more about a kid
1: visit us at mayorinc.org call us at 617-964-6273 or attend a mayor event we have them listed on mayorinc.org
0: perfect well thanks for joining me diane this has been a very educational segment and of course working with you is always fun and i look forward to we're going to be co-hosting again next month so Um, We're going to take a little break, and we'll be back with special guests from Jordan's Furniture. studio is Megan Dolan, our director of development. Welcome, Megan.
2: Hi, Joe. I'm happy to be here. I'm
0: excited to hear you are here to tell us about a really fun mayor event that's coming up.
2: I sure am. Um, So we have our annual big fundraising event, the Jordan's Furniture Walk Run for Adoption. We have
0: a walk run for adoption? We
2: do. I only mention it 10 times a day. I
0: only harass you every time you do. So tell everyone, um, when is it happening? Uh, Where is it happening? It
2: is Sunday, May 19th, and it takes place at Jordan's Furniture in Taunton.
0: Great. And I know from experience I can walk, I can run, but I can also fundraise. So if I want to do any of those things, what does it cost? Where do I go?
2: Great questions. So for all the information and to register, you go to jordanswalkforadoption.org. Registration is $35 for adults, $15 for social workers who work with mayor, and for kids, uh, 3 to 12. Your little ones are free. Um, and there are so many ways to help out. You don't actually have to exercise. Um, you which can is just, great because I
0: don't really want to exercise. You
2: can just come to the event and hang out and wait for the after party, which has all kinds of fun stuff for families.
0: It is super fun. And I, I've met many families over the years who uh, meet up there on an annual basis. Some families have met each other there. There are people who get together as a family to support, uh, you know, mayor. And maybe they're fundraising. Maybe they're walking. Maybe they're running. But then there's all kinds of after activities, right? There's an after party. Lots of fun. Lots food. of fun.
2: There's music. There's activities for kids. There's going to be a make your own superhero match station there's going to be a photo booth there's lunch
0: tell me i get a cape do i get a cape you get a cape you get a cape all right well i'll be there and hopefully our listeners will be able to join us as well thanks for joining me megan
2: thank you and i'll see you at the walk
0: excellent Welcome back to AdoptEd. This is our Adopt Talk segment where we get to meet community members who are involved in the foster care and adoption process. Joining me today is my guest from Jordan's Furniture. Many of our listeners will surely know that Jordan's Furniture has been a wonderful friend and supporter to Mayor for over 20 years. During that time, and with the help of Elliot and the Jordan's team, Mayor has placed over 470 children into adoptive homes. Of course, Jordan's is so well known that they don't need any introduction, but I would like to welcome Heather Copelis, Public Relations Manager for Jordan Furn- Jordan's Furniture. Thanks for joining me today, Heather.
3: Thank you, Joe. Good to be here.
0: Thank you. So, this podcast is all about education, and an important part of our education happens at events like the one being hosted today at Jordan's. So, today we're having the Beanstalk event, um, but what I'd like to do is start with a little bit about the history of engagement between Jordan's and foster care and adoption, and talk a little bit about why it's important for Jordans to participate in in this particular kind of event.
3: Sure. Um, We've had this partnership for over 20 years, as you know, and it started small. We started with Baby Steps, uh, and long ago it really was just, a I think, a financial request, and prior to even making that commitment, we researched and found out a little bit more about mayor, Mass Adoption Resources Exchange, and realized the scope of the services, the scope of the children that are supported through Mayor um started to do small events to see what we could do to find permanent homes for, for children and youth in youth and foster care and once we started to create these events and to support this cause we realized that we do have the stores that are so conducive to bringing families and children children together that these were successful events and we started to grow from that uh, and our events got larger and larger and throughout the years we realized also that it's really important to have sustained attention to a particular cause right. to make impact. Right. There's so many worthy causes that are out there. We could spread the wealth, so to speak, with so many different causes all at one time. But really, in order to make an impact and to make a difference with a particular cause, it's really important, we feel, to uh, have continued attention toward sure. a specific one. And so it almost becomes part of our branding. And so throughout our communities, folks know that adoption and foster care adoption specifically is something that Jordan supports. Right. So that when we're putting on an event or we're just promoting the cause, it it really is aligned with our branding and with Elliot's voice. People listen to It's synonymous.
0: It's synonymous. It is
3: synonymous. And Elliot literally is stopped in the street when he walks down the street. Right. and, And there have been many times where people have stopped and said thank you so much I met my future son or daughter at one of your events and I can't thank you enough and he's the first to say that goes such a long way and a lot further than selling a sofa it's really 100% and
0: and there's a lot to unpack in that in that statement so one of the things that we're doing so we're at Beanstalk here today and we also host in the fall the options event in the same store great little play area you know we're all about making sure that this is just a fun day of play sure. oftentimes that's a question we get asked from families you know what's it going to be like you know how are the how are we going to interact with the children listen the kids are here to play that's right some of them are excited to be getting together with people that they haven't seen in a that's long right. time friends and sometimes siblings will get together at these events my gosh your store and stores make for just such a fun event you know regardless of which site we're at and this one in particular with the ropes course Oh my gosh! If people haven't been here, they need to come and check out the That's store right. and, and do a little shopping with the kids because it's so much fun. And, and we
3: do say that if with at, with these adoption events that we run at our stores that are family friendly and, and great for interaction with families and kids, we do say that if minimally what's what comes out of one of these adoption events is that we give these kids a great morning
2: that right. they might not have,
3: they have a, then, then we've done done our Absolutely. job. Absolutely. If if we find matches job better. done absolutely all the better absolutely
0: 100 so so um i'm going to gush a little bit about jordan's and elliot and you um you know one of the other things that that we do and did very early on with you is the digital art gallery yeah that's
3: uh, right. and
0: that's a construct that we now um employ across multiple platforms and in many communities but but you guys were the first to be open to and willing to host that and what a wonderful way to showcase children waiting in foster care.
3: Absolutely, and we have a, we're so lucky in that we do have what we call destination stores, where folks spend a lot more time in the store than they do in an average retail store because right. of the entertainment aspects that we have here, because of the size and scope of our showrooms, because of the design of the stores. That's all very deliberate, obviously, uh, but the entertainment also, again, like I said, is a real draw for right. families to come and. The heart gallery and the digital heart gallery, I literally have been a witness of, of coming to these stores, and I travel to all the stores, and I see folks stop, they stop, and they stand there, not for 30 seconds or a minute, but several minutes, and four and five minutes, right and they watch it, and they watch the slides, and they look at these kids, and they read their little bio, and, and if if that can spur one family two families five families ten families the more the oh better if that can sp- spur a phone call right to, to mayor then again that's that is exactly why we do that anytime that we can create exposure for not only the cause but specific kids you right. know, these kids these are real people these are kids, these waiting. Are real kids they're, waiting they're
0: waiting for a connection Absolutely. to a family yeah so we broaden that as well so um for anyone thinking about how they can help that's a way to help uh, Absolutely. not just having space or sponsoring a large event, really, but for even the average smaller business who happens to have a video screen, that's or, right. you know, it's an easy way to, to, to sponsor it. Um, and the other thing I'm going to gush a little bit about is you guys do have a lot of community partnerships. I know when I go on mm-hmm. to your partnerships page, and that's largely in, in your realm, right? That's part of um, the connection that you have to the community as well? It is. We
3: just feel that, it, and this, again, this is, absolutely comes from Elliot as the president of Jordans in that uh He's always felt, and I think this is part of his philosophy, not only as a businessman, but as a person, is that if you're in the opportunity, you're in a lucky opportunity um, or situation, rather, that you are able to give back, it's it's your duty to give yeah, back. Yeah, for sure. And so it's important for us to support the communities that support us. We have six stores in six very different communities, and so it's very, very important for us to, um, to give back to those communities. So we do have... Um, multiple uh, community partners and charity partners um, and uh, different nonprofits that we support but it going back to origin you know in the original conversation we had that it, it is important to focus on some specific causes and some specific organizations that are important to a business or business. To have a plan, right? And to have a plan. And to have that what I call sustained attention. you got to have that sustained attention to make impact. Now, I'm not saying that a sponsorship of you know, X, Y, and Z gala doesn't go a long sure, way. That's sure. fine. Everyone has their own agenda and their own plan. Right. And and you should. You, you need to have that. But um, it's, it's really important to just find something that's important to the company. It really right. is. And, and, and then, then that way you're able to support it um, for years and years. Yeah, and you've sort of
0: answered my next question was really about the philanthropy and what would you tell a, a fledgling company, you know, somebody who's just thinking like, how can I get more involved in community action? How can I, you know, really do some impactful work aside from my overall sure. or, or, or general core work? You know, and it sounds like that's the answer, right? Is that you have to pick something that's important I think you should really, you and,
3: and, and, and think about it that way. It's your choice. You're, you're a retailer. You, you can Go in and open your doors and sell your goods, and right. then close up at the end of the day and go home. It's your it's your choice and your prerogative to choose what's important right. for you as a company, for you as a retailer, for you as a community leader. It's up to you to choose. There, is, there are countless worthy causes. Right. Foster care adoption happens, happens to be something that we chose and now is very near and dear to my heart, to Elliot's right, heart, to right. a lot of people within the, the, the And Georgia's we certainly family. appreciate it. Thank you. And, and, again, that comes down to, again, the sustained attention that I keep talking about, but also meeting these wonderful kids and meeting these heroic families that how do you turn away after right. you've, you don't know, have this attention? But, you know, any advice that I could give to some of these companies, um, small, large, whatever, in regards to community outreach is... Figure out what works for your company. Figure out what really touches your company. Right. Um, and, and then research it and have that attention toward it so that you, and a focus on it so that you can actually make an impact in that genre.
0: And I think stick to it. I mean, in, in all my years of volunteerism and the number of boards that I've served on, you know, that's one of the biggest things is stick to it. Yeah, right? make absolutely. Make a plan and see it out. That's right. Because year one might not be fabulous. Year two, you might build oh a little gosh. momentum, but yeah. here we are over 20 years over 20 later years. and amazing, amazing attendance at these events. Thank
3: you. And we're, we're happy, we're happy to be able to do it. We, again, we put an incredible amount of effort into it. We put a lot of money toward it. Right. Um, and the other advice I think I could give too is start with baby steps. You don't have to change the world in the day, you know, start with baby steps and see what works for this this charity partnership or whoever you choose to partner with, right. start start with some small plans, you know, and see how that goes. And you never know, things might meld and they might not, you right. know. And then, right. there's no, it's not like you're signing a contract for five years that says I need to get X, Y, and Z done. Sure, you know, start with the small stuff and see how that works and, and roll yep. from there.
0: And in our case, again, the Digital Heart Gallery, um, uh, my fantastic digital communication specialist Jeremy, uh, who wonderful. works with you, is actually the producer on this podcast, um, uh, can send it out. Um, you know, it's, it can be emailed. I mean, it's our exchange oh, is so super easy. So for anybody that has that kind of equipment, if they're looking for that entry, you know, into this world, that's, that's right. an easy, easy partnership to start with Absolutely. Us. And, it,
3: and that it's so. It, I feel that's so impactful, too. The Heart Gallery, like I said, I see so many people stopping and looking at it and reading it. Um, Mayor and Jeremy make it so easy and user-friendly in regards to keeping it updated and current, because that's important, too.
0: I have to tell you, if I'm being fully honest with you. Please do. I shop your stores
3: a lot. I like that.
0: Thank you. Sometimes you're here and sometimes <laughs> you're not. And I have met families and have handed out yeah. business cards and made connections with families because families do soft. They do look. It's just, you know, and it's That's just a nice. silent
3: thing it going is. on in the
0: background. It's just a nice endorsement of
3: something. It's a nice endorsement. And for And because of this cause, because of foster care adoption, Let's call it what it is. It's intimidating. It's a huge decision It's a lot to make. of information It's for a lot people. to take in. That's yes. why even events like we're here this morning, I clap my hands and commend every single family that walks in this door on an early Sunday morning. And whether you talk to one person, you talk to five people, or you talk to nobody and you just observe. Thank you for coming.
0: Absolutely, and, the, and these aren't for everyone. And I should be very—you uh, know—I'd be remiss if I didn't say that there are a number of ways to get in, you know involved in this work. Everything from starting at our website, maryink.org, to giving us a call at six one seven nine six four six two seven three stop by an event we have some events that are open to the public some events that are only open to people who are in process of adopting but all that information is available either on the web or by phone call but there is one other exciting thing that we have coming up and I thought we should maybe talk about something that that you've got Coming up, um, we have a
3: walk. Oh yes! Oh, the annual. This is the tenth anniversary, by the way. I know. So tenth anniversary, we're very happy about this. This is our in our Taunton facility, Taunton, Massachusetts facility. Uh, again, because that facility is so large and so conducive for the tenth annual walk/run for adoption with Mass Adoption Resource Exchange. It is on Sunday morning, May nineteenth, at ten from ten to one, uh, and it start. It's a five k. You can be a runner, you can be a walker, you can be a stroller, you can be a you crawler, be an observer. you can be an observer. You
0: can raise money can remotely raise and not money. even, That's can right. be a virtual participant. We'd like you
3: to attend, though. You'd, we do, we do see, want you to attend. We'd love to see your smiling face However, there. However, if you can't, if your bear, schedule
0: doesn't allow for it, exactly. you can still help raise money You can money still for help it. by
3: going to jordanswalkforadoption.org. Uh, or you can attend, again, Taunton, Massachusetts, May 19th, 10 a.m. Uh, and it's a 5K, family-friendly walk or run Followed by a very very funny post fun, no, fun and funny post party that has um, lunch and we've got entertainment. And oh my gosh! We've got all kinds of inter- interaction uh, and activities for kids and families. Can um, I just
0: tell you, we have families that have been coming to this. They use this as their annual meeting. <laughs> families that met I each other it. at the walk, I or they the meet idea. up at the walk. Yes. This has I've now become also, a destination.
3: I've also seen photos from our walk run used for future like holiday cards and family you yes. know portraits and things like that I think I it's great it. and know what's great about that event also is because it's a fundraiser obviously but it's also a celebration of foster care adoption 100% and we see and I I take a walk on the on the walk route the whole that morning too and it's so nice to observe and listen to the conversations going on with foster families there these are adoptive families from foster care who've never met each other, and just comparing stories yes. and comparing, you know, their it's experience. Great. kids playing together who've never together. met and walking. Oh, it's and, a big it's kumbaya fun. group hug thing. I love it's it. It's wonderful. It's a great It's a great event. thing. So we'd love for folks to come Good. again for uh, May 19th, Tottenham Mass. Yep. Walk, Run for Adoption. Uh, and jordanswalkforadoption.org.
0: To, Jordan, to register
3: site. and or um, send money either way.
0: Great. Well, this has been wonderful, and I appreciate all of your time. And so folks want more information about Jordan's Furniture. It's yes. social media at jordansfurniture. Correct. And the web is at jordans.com. Yes, right, so Jordans.com. Yes. and you can find
3: out all about our partnership with Mayor there and all of our community outreach at jordans.com.
0: Well, great. Well, I know that today is a busy day for you, so thanks it for is. taking the time to speak with me and our audience about all the wonderful work that you do in, in supporting children in foster care. For more information about Mayor, our waiting children, or simply to get more info about how you can get involved supporting waiting children, please visit us at mayorinc.org or call us at 617-964-6273. This is Joe Sandigato wishing you a wonderful day and thanks for listening. Until next time.